from a nutritional perspective or functional medicine perspective and thinking about immune resilience, I mean, yes. it makes total sense that we all have different levels of immune resilience at any one point in time, right? And yes. so, and also immune resilience is something that you build up ahead of time. Once you're faced with, you know, a germ that's trying to make you sick, you're in a totally different scenario. Your body is using nutrients totally differently. To make you sick, it has to already get past things like your barriers, your frontline barriers, and the yeah. microbiome might be off or whatever, you know. And so finally, if it reaches your immune system and starts to make you sick, it's come through a lot of different layers. Mm. And so, you know, we all would have different levels of resilience in those different layers before mm. that germ arrives even to meet an immune cell. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I'm so excited for today's conversation. We are going to be learning about immune resilience. And with COVID that we've been living through the last few years, I think understanding this is important, but it's just also so fascinating and, and, and I think important to understand. And we have the benefit of having Romilly Hodges on the show to help us uh, uncover and un understand it through her book and recent work. Um, her book is called Immune Resilience, The Breakthrough Plan to Protect Your Body and Fight Disease. And I found this book fascinating and we earmarked some sections to go back to because it's it's just, there's so much to learn and understand. Um, Romilly is a clinical nutritionist certified by the American Nutrition Association in the state of Connecticut. She is also a functional medicine practitioner and spent several years as the director of nutrition programs at a clinic in Connecticut. And I believe that was with Dr. Fitzgerald. Yeah, Dr. Cara yes, Fitzgerald. Yes, I was going to say Dr. Cara mm -hmm. Fitzgerald, who is the author of Younger You, who was recently on, right? Was it her clinic that you were? That's right. Exactly that. Yes, yes. In fact, we worked on that study together over yes. the years. So yeah, yes, yeah. she mentioned that. Yes. And she said your book was coming out at the same time. So I'm so glad that she connected us. So um, welcome. I'm very happy to have you on today. Thank you, Michelle. It's just a pleasure to be here. Thank you for everything that you do. And uh, yes, now I'm excited to chat about this. Yeah, it's such an important topic. I think we don't really... I mean, we hope our immune system's working right. And then, you know, it gets put to the test for whatever reason. And, you know, we hope that it it does what it's intended to do. So I'm really excited to learn more. But take a minute to introduce us in your words in terms of the kind of work that you do and the kinds of patients you see. So we have, you know, we, we have a better understanding of what you do day to day. For sure, for sure. Yeah, so... Um, I really came into this field, nutrition and functional medicine. I'm a clinical nutritionist working in the in the sort of the um, broader scope of functional medicine. Um, but I had a, a first career in a business and technology think tank um, as an analyst, and so that's where I was for the first part of my career. And then 
um, like many of us who get into this field, it's yes. something that happens in your life that creates this this change for you. Yeah. So for me, it was having kids, and my firstborn really struggled with um, digestive issues and really um, top to toe eczema. Um, we discovered food allergies, you know, the whole, kind of a gamut of immune issues. So immune health was really my window into this field. And then sort of my research brain went uh, into hyperdrive. I started focusing on like, what, what can I do? Because in my questions were really, you know, um, how do I make sure that my child has everything in, in their diet that they need to stay healthy and strong and grow properly. Um, but also, you know, why is this happening and what, what could we possibly do? And I learned about things like the atopic march, which is this progression from eczema to other kinds of sensitivities, such as mm. food allergy, hay fever, asthma. And mm. we know now through research that actually you can get sensitized to different environmental things like even food or pollens through your skin as well as through the digestive tract. So this is, wow. you know, so looking at that kind of stuff and what could we do to possibly help minimize that progression to reduce this tendency towards um, immune dysfunction. And so then, you know, that really has been my interest in, in sort of the, as well, the broader scope of immune health from autoimmunity. And then also in, in this book, particularly in how we can support our immune system, do that really important job of protecting us when we do encounter germs, which is actually every single day. Yes. <laughs> we encounter sort of millions of different kinds of microbes and our immune system has to go through this really incredible process of figuring out do I what do I need to do for this microbe if anything um, and if it is something that's trying to harm us you know how does it ramp up and create that response um, to ultimately kill the germ and keep us safe wow. so you know my interest really um, marrying that with what I learned from nutrition and functional medicine was to try to take a comprehensive view of all of these natural factors that play a role in how well our immune system functions. Mm. Um, so everything from diet, from exercise, stress levels, sleep levels, our exposure to toxins, um, you know, what else? Like nutrients, um, different botanicals and supplements and like all of these different things because really we each have, um, you know, a unique situation with our immune system where we have different holes or gaps that we might want to fill um, and that we need to shore up a little bit. So what one person does might be slightly different from what another person does, depending on our unique situation. So yeah, that was the premise for um, writing this book it was an amazing opportunity to be able to do so. Thoroughly enjoyed that process. <laughs> Did you start it before COVID or just during COVID? It was before. So I had wow. all of these materials. The timing, I mean. It's... And then, well, there was sort of this moment where, oh my goodness, this is, you know, a global pandemic. Yes. I need to kind of focus in on getting this sort of together and out there. Um, and so that's, that's what ended up um, amazingly happening. <laughs> yes, the timing is definitely, I mean, it's especially relevant. I think it's nice to have like a foundation for the conversation. So immune resilience, mm -hmm. just give us what is what does that mean? And maybe just give us a 
just a basic understanding of what the immune, like your definition of the immune system. Of the immune system. Yeah, this is really important because we often think of it as just, um, you know, our immune cells that go around the body, either surveying and looking out for different germs that might come. And then they have to obviously ramp up when they do mount an infection. Um, So that's kind of the classic, what we think of as our immune system, perhaps. Um, But, and this is really important in the book, as I laid out, so there, there are really three big pillars to our immune system and our immune cells are one of them. Um, they do all kinds of important things. They literally can go around gobbling up little germs. They can shoot little bursts of um, oxidative chemicals that destroy things. They produce antibodies, of course, really wow. important. Yes. Um, the other pillars are, number one, your barriers. Yeah. So that's everything from your physical barriers that line your skin, your digestive tract, your nasal passages, wow. your mouth, everything is a barrier between the outside world and your internal body, right? But we can also have, um, well, and just to mention for, for those and for all of these things that I'm going to talk about, there are so many interactions between our nutritional health, our diet, our lifestyle, and how well these things are functioning. Um, then we also have things like our chemical barriers. So saliva, for instance, oh, wow. that's already busy killing wow. germs tears? that enter your mouth. Yep. Tears. Yes, tears. Yes. Tears as well. Um, stomach acid that kills oodles of germs, right? So, you know, in that context, we might think differently about taking an antacid so regularly. Um, there are actually studies on um, showing that if you take a something called a PPI, which is a prescription antacid yes. for um, at least three months, then you have um, a much higher risk of having drug-resistant germs residing oh, in no. your digestive tract and things like that. Because the stomach is a natural barrier just in itself. And so obviously you shouldn't stop a medication that's been prescribed to you without discussing with your doctor. But oftentimes as a nutritionist, there are lots of different ways that we can help work on reducing the reason why you're taking that medication, the reflux, the heartburn. Um, And, you know, if we can solve it that way, then that's one less risk factor for sure. Um, And then uh, the, the third pillar um, is not even part of us, um, but it's still so, so important. And that is our microbiome. Yes. So it's so essential for our immune system that really it's sort of, it's a strategic ally to what we're doing and our immune system can't function even without it. Can you so explain they, what, can you tell us what a microbiome is for anyone who hasn't heard it? Cause I actually had that as a question to ask you as well. Yes. I think people have heard about, oh, the microbiome is so important, but I don't think a lot of people know what it is. What it is. I know. It's so fascinating. Um, So your microbiome is the collection of all of the helpful germs, helpful bacteria, even viruses and some fungi and things like this, helpful ones that naturally reside in us and on us. Most of them are in our digestive tract. And in Mm. fact, most of them, even within that, are in the colon. But, um, well, actually, so for the colon, they've estimated that the, um, I think it's around three pounds of weight in the colon is actually 
bacteria. No so way. Bigger than the, the size of an adult brain, for instance. Like it's a massive amount. And oh we actually our bodies have, are so fascinating. There's so all fascinating. this stuff going on and we have no idea. <laughs> and they actually have also estimated that we have more bacteria in us and on us than we do human cells. You know, we're more which is bacteria a little bit of a scary than human thought. cells. We're more, more bacteria. bacteria than we have our own human cells. Wow which is also a little bit mind-blowing. I mean, these are much yes. smaller and, you know, one of the only places where I'd say probably good not to have a democracy. <laughs> but, yes, you know, yes. take over, charge, the good really? stuff can take over, yeah. Right, exactly. So, um, you know, they're really that essential. Um, so some of the things that these helpful bacteria can do, um, well, first of all, they metabolize a lot of food and plant compounds, phytonutrient compounds for mm. us, making them active in our bodies so that they can do all their wonderful anti-inflammatory things that they do. Um, they act on di- uh, non-fermentable carbohydrates or different types of fibers in your diet to produce compounds called short-chain fatty acids, Yes, the most well-known of which is called butyrate. And that is very nourishing to your digestive tract And it's also important in signaling to the immune system how to behave, how not to be driving up inflammation unnecessarily, how to balance the different types of immune activity so you have less tendency towards allergic disease, for instance. So it's a really um, important molecule that we get from these helpful bacteria but you know, beyond that, even the bacteria, um, the helpful bacteria that we have, they they are able to crowd out potential pathogenic or wow. harmful bacteria, and they produce certain compounds called bacteriosins, which kill harmful versions of that family of bacteria. So that's another way that they 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 can help. Um, in fact, what, so I gave one of the examples before Staphylococcus epidermis being able yes. to act against Staphylococcus aureus. Um, and there are even some forms of E. coli, helpful E. coli called E. coli nissle is one of them, which is actually available in supplement form. And that is known to act, act against harmful versions of E. coli. Wow. So there's really interesting ramifications um, of these bacteria And even when we're very young and our immune system is learning um, about its environment, right? And Mm. it's learning what's safe, what's not safe. I mean, the complexity in that with all of these different things that we're exposed to is is quite mind-boggling. But we know that if we have an imbalance in our microbiome, especially early on when our immune system is learning, then we have more tendency towards allergies, autoimmunity, even infectious disease. And they've shown in researchers have shown in studies of germ-free mice, where they're actually able to create totally sterile, no microbiome mice, um, that they have a much smaller thymus gland, which is an important immune gland, a smaller spleen, which is an important immune gland, less active immune cells um, and immune cells that are more skewed towards allergies. Mm. Um, so, you know, again, just really important. And we can we can heavily influence our microbiome through our food choices. 
um, and through all, all different kinds of things, our sleep, um, whether we're really stressed or not, uh, the levels, different levels of nutrients that we have. So all of those things go into, I mean, so the book really is to try again, to just wrapping our arms around all of those different factors. Um, you know, there's some quizzes in there to try to help figure out which parts, where am I more vulnerable, right? So <laughs> in this whole picture and landscape of our immune system, where are my vulnerabilities and what can I do to shore those up? Yes. When you're talking, all I could think about is just, first of all, I'm sort of an amazement and of just how beautiful our bodies are. I mean, they're designed to protect us. And you just talked about those, all those various layers that just are there. And then it makes, you know, as I'm sitting here with, I was running an errand this morning and I told my husband to get me a blueberry scone. I usually eat pretty healthy, but you know, I know there's sugar in there. That's not good for me. It's like, as you're talking, all I could think about is gosh, it really knowing that it makes me want to do even better. I'm very, I would say I eat really well. I do eat really, like I'm pretty proud of that, but I, I don't necessarily deny myself the occasional scone or, or right, something like right. that. Um, and I think, you know, yeah. uh, it's, this is an important point as well. I think yeah. that there's nothing, you know, if we aim, my goal is always, unless there's a particular reason why you'd want to do more, then you, the, the best thing to aim for is like 80% That's of the time of, you're, yeah, you're eating. I am spot on, you know, and then yeah. that does, we, we do need some space in our life for little bits of deviations because if we're too strict, first of all, it plays on our mental health. There's a, a growing problem um, of uh, an overly overly focusing on yes. very strict healthy eating. Yes. There's even a, a term for it, which is orthorexia. Um, oh, so it's, it's an identified um, problem that oh. we can be overly concerned and overly focused on only eating healthy foods yeah um as such that we are you know our stress level will go up if we can't access that healthy wow. food so you're almost we might deny you're, ourselves you're yes. almost undoing the benefit of what you're trying to do by being so overly strict or focused on it, it it's exactly exactly but that said i'm totally with you that um to me it's really understanding those connections is so motivating right because when yes, we really know fascinating. what's yes. going on, then yeah, we like, know that if let's we cheer choose, for the team, yeah, <laughs> let's help that, that, that microbiome out instead. Exactly. Let's do what we can. Well, I'm and so excited to learn more. Go ahead, please. What were you going to say? No. Well, if you want me to, I was going to pick up on the, uh, this, um, the concept of sugar and how that oh, please. impacts the sugar. Us. We do know that sugar is not, I mean, that creates inflammation and inflammation we do, we do know that. And it's, it's unfortunately very harmful to our microbiome as well, mm -hmm. because it feeds the bad bugs instead of the good bugs as Got well. It. And there was, um, there was a bunch of researchers, um, who were actually, who were in Switzerland at this prestigious university. And during COVID, they switched from what they were focusing on, which was actually artificial intelligence to study the brain and brain health and neurodegeneration. Um, and they switched their artificial intelligence machines, um, learning machines, to look at factors that were influencing COVID vulnerability. And one of the things that came up, so their system, their AI system, basically was able to scan 
all published literature, scientific literature, which, you know, as an individual, as a human, it's really hard to keep yes, up with of all of that literature that's published, right? So AI is a very promising tool to help scientists, clinicians, all of us to be able to wow. synthesize scientific literature. Um, so it was able to scan thousands of papers that were being published on COVID and it came um, to focus on glucose, which is sugar in your blood, blood sugar, and how it was potentially making people more vulnerable. Because we knew, right, we know that wow. conditions like diabetes, and this was the premise, you know, that's a strong risk factor for severe COVID, yes. um, for long COVID, and also yes. other infections. And what they came up with from their scan of the literature was really that having that increased levels of blood sugar was associated with negative impacts at every stage of that viral infection process from wow. when it first attaches to cells to how it replicates to impairments in how our own body was able to produce antiviral mechanisms, wow. um, the functions of different immune cells. So, and, and also we know that sugar disturbs the barrier integrity, tight junctions between cells that, that should really be keeping harmful things out. Um, and so they, they came up with this um, conclusion that you know, we normally have, even in our airway surface, we have this sort of mucus layer um, naturally on our airways and it's normally low in glucose, but um, it's higher in certainly in higher risk diabetic patients, but mm. also it fluctuates depending on what we're eating as well, right? And so normally you would need a really high viral load to cause damage, start causing damage to, for a virus to be able to start causing damage to that surface. But when your blood sugar is raised, when the surface liquid sugar is then raised, um, they were saying that even a low viral load exposure could wow. start causing problems. So wow. it was very interesting what they were coming out with. So I talk a little bit about that in the book as well. Um, and certainly all of the other ways that um, sugar can derail our immune system. And inflammation is, is produced by our immune system. That's one of our defense mechanisms, which it uses in a very controlled way. Yes. To it's trying to germs. help us. It's trying to help us, right? Yes. And it's only when we have too much of it and when there's no productive target, like you're not actually trying to find a germ at that moment, that it, it, it becomes... just turned on all the time because we've right. now turned on. we've now turned it on all the time because of what we're consuming. Right. And you're just feeding that cycle of creating inflammation <laughs> and you're you're priming your immune system to react inappropriately to things, oh to goodness. be a sluggish when it needs to defend against the germ and to be hyper reactive to things that it shouldn't react to, like foods or pollens. And things like that in our environment. So yeah, it's a really important piece well, of the puzzle. If so, uh, uh, there's so many ways I could take this conversation. Uh -huh. I was like, but based on what you said that I wanted to ask you, but I guess I'm, I'm wondering, um, well, first of all, I do know we also, as a society, right, we're consuming like how much, how much sugar a year on average? Like it's ridiculous compared to our ancestors. I mean, they just, it is. our it bodies is. weren't I mean, designed we to have this access to this much sugar. That's right. So that's and why we're creating this down, overload. It high. is trending down. Well, maybe because people are more aware. But it's still really high. See, that's yeah. the, that's the problem. Like it's still way, 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 way higher than it should be. I mean, we have the conversation around sugar has been going on for several years now. Yeah. And 
So I think that there has been a turn, but it's not it's not anywhere near coming down on average to to acceptable to good levels. And and it really is something that hides out in our food supply, in our food chain, in, yeah, in our food. I think that's one of the problems. And it's right. so addictive. It's in your like, ketchup, it's in your salad. If if you're right, I mean you're spraying right, the store bought right. stuff. It's in that chai tea latte, whatever you know, oh. so much sugar in those kinds of things. And we don't really um always realize it. I think most of us know obviously we don't want to add piles of sugar to our foods. Yes. Um we want to stay away from highly sweetened beverages and things like that but it's just not always obvious that it's in our yes. bread and that it's in this right it's literally thing. sneaking in in so many different ways which accumulates so you're right. thinking oh i'm actually doing okay and then you, you don't actually realize you've you've consumed way more than is healthy per day um with our immune systems is it a snapshot in time and what i mean by this is you know even like i just i had told you we we had to reschedule cuz i ended up getting covid my whole family got it yeah. um and i have friends who let's say within a household of five people the wife and daughter didn't get it but the husband and the two boys did or like so when we're hit with a virus is it about our immune like cuz maybe this is the, the place to ask about innate versus adaptable immune system i don't know if this is where this comes into play but i'd love to touch on that but is it based on how how we've been doing for the last few weeks or is it just our bodies are either sort of strong or weakened is that right. oversimplifying it can you just explain cuz i just is curious to me why some people don't get it at all it's going around a house are yeah. they just do they just have stronger immune systems or do they just have a better you know, last few weeks leading up to that, maybe they slept better than everyone else. I don't know. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, yes. from a nutritional perspective or functional medicine perspective and thinking about immune resilience, I mean, yes. it makes total sense that we all have different levels of immune resilience at any one point in time, right? And yes. so, and also immune resilience is something that you build up ahead of time. Once you're faced with you know, a germ that's trying to make you sick, you're in a totally different scenario. Um, you know, your your body is using nutrients totally differently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's already, to make you sick, it has to already get past things like your barriers, your frontline barriers mm -hmm. that I talked in. about and the yeah. microbiome might be off or whatever, you know. And so finally, if, if it reaches your immune system and starts to make you sick, it's come through a lot of different layers mm. and so you know we all would have different um levels of resilience in those different layers before mm. that germ arrives even to meet an immune cell right yes so that's one thing um and then again going back to this concept of shoring up resilience um even when we think about nutrients once you're sick your body's actually using nutrients very differently um so our level of vitamin C utilization goes right up, which is why vitamin C can be helpful. And yeah. people often do turn to yeah. that, right? Yes, for um, sure. I was taking a ton of vitamin C when we were mm -hmm, sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Um, we use a lot, well, our immune cells use a lot more glutamine for uh, energy when we're okay. sick as well. In fact, normally your cells rely on glucose for energy production, which obviously fuels everything that that cell needs to do. So it's fundamentally important. But when you're sick, it uses as much glutamine, which is actually a type of protein 
building block. It's an mm. amino acid, which yes. is a type of protein. Yes. Um, and kind of the neat thing about that is that glutamine is really abundant in stock, bone stock for food, ah. right? Food bone stock. Yes. Um, so when I think about like traditional chicken soup, That's not Campbell's right. chicken soup, yeah, from a yeah, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't that kind of neat that you know the, here's this traditional food yes. and recipe all ju- like that we so eat. many cultures all <laughs> turn so to the cultures. soup yes it's fascinating yeah. and you know other things are happening for instance um when you're sick your body sequesters iron out of circulation um and the reason for that is that many germs can use iron to grow so much so that your body's developed this mechanism to reduce the level of circulating That's so iron crazy. as a way fascinating. To, isn't <laughs> oh it fascinating God. right yes but iron is really important for your immune cell, cells to function oh, wow. um and one of the places that it gets sequestered into is actually your immune cells which is kind of cool right because then they right. have it there ready to use for wow. oxidative burst or whatever but it means that you can't you can't correct you know slightly low iron once you're sick, because your body doesn't want it circulating, it wants it in your immune cells ready to to fight and do their job. So mm. that's another really um, interesting one. So yeah, it's all right. Sort of the message is really like building that resilience ahead of time. Yes. To help us have that best chance. Of yes. Fending it off doesn't the mean we're never going to get sick. Even if you have a strong yeah. immune system, this is not about that. It's about no, na- like having your immune that. system doing its best job. Yes. If and when, or inevitably, you're faced with a virus. So, okay. So, just because someone didn't get it doesn't mean their immune system was stronger than someone else's? Well, you know, I think that could certainly be one explanation. And that's certainly my, you know, the from where I'm coming from, that seems like a very reasonable potential explanation. I yeah. think there are probably other areas. Um, like perhaps that immune that person's immune system has seen that yes. germ before, but yes. didn't get sick. Yes. You know, there's other things that might be potentially happening that if you know, if you ask a, a physician, um, they might be talking about things like that as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um let's talk about so I touched, I just was gonna ask you about this anyway. Um, just explaining the difference between an innate immunity versus adaptive immunity and okay. how that plays into this whole puzzle. Yeah. So when you're born, you have innate immunity. Um, That actually includes everything from your barriers to innate immune cells. Like for instance, one of them, one type of innate immune cell is called a natural killer cell, Mm. which sounds kind of intense. I've heard of that. You've heard of that? Yeah. Um, It's very well known for being especially (laughs) antiviral. (laughs) I probably read it in your book. book. (laughs) It's really good antiviral, general antiviral, right? These these are not... um, specific to any particular germ these are your innate immune system is like a blanket um defense against any kind of germ that might come your way um also by the way natural killer cells are really um key for eliminating budding cancer cells in the body so we do when we have like our cells can kind of go in a wrong direction sometimes towards cancer and it's our immune system's job to identify them and actually clear them out. So we do I've want heard our that. We have cancers out. growing in our body, right? At times. Mm-hmm. And then, and then hopefully the body is cleared. Yep. When our immune system is able wow. to work well and do that. So then our adaptive immune system 
is what we learn, our immune system learns as it meets different germs. Got it. So here it meets, say, like the COVID, COVID yes. virus. Yes. And then it starts that process of figuring out how to create antibodies and very specific types of other immune cells called T cells that can target that particular germ, right? And so you can imagine that the general innate immune system is a bit like kind of going in there with a sledgehammer and just bashing about (laughs) until something dies. Your adaptive immune system is like the SWAT team (laughs) goes in and they just get their target and then they're out, you know, no mess. (laughs) So you know, a little bit like that, but um, it takes a little bit longer for your adaptive system to kick into gear, especially if you've seen, um, if it hasn't seen that germ before. So you need your innate immune system to be like holding down the fort as everything else ramps up and gets ready, which, you know, by the way, like that's a huge amount of cells that your body starts producing to fight that germ, a huge amount of then antibodies that it produces to fight that germ. So it's really resource demanding. Yeah. Which is why, you know, again, shoring up resilience ahead of time, nutritionally. Um, and then, you know, it's also why we need a recovery time after we've been sick, because we need that rebuilding time um, from the heavy demands that that it's caused. It's so fascinating. I mean, I think I had read that, like, for example, with the Spanish flu, that people who are whatever in their 90s still had uh, I don't know if it was the T cells, but they had the ant. They still had antibodies for that flu, like ninety years later. Amazing, isn't it? What our body can do. I mean, right? it can store. So this is what what was published in one paper, and I put it in the book because I thought it was just so fascinating that our immune memory yes. can store defense mechanisms, antibody structures, to over a quintillion different types of germs quintillion quintillion type of germs so like what what an amazing capability that there is you know to basically create a library of of information that it can pull from because you don't have circulating um high levels of circulating antibodies to all those germs at any one time oh your blood would be too thick according to this uh, infectious (laughs) disease doctor i had on she said you don't you can't have like after you've had you know, the vaccine, you know, the antibodies will come down because your blood would be too thick. Like that's not how your body's. Yeah. Interesting. But that makes sense. That makes sense. It would just be too much in the blood then. So yeah, it's stored in sort of a memory form with very low levels of the antibodies, but that ability to ramp up. So, you know, even, yeah, so even based on that, right. When our body is using nutrients to help fight an infection, we need all those nutrients that help create new cells. Yes. And there's a bunch of them, like folate, for instance, B12, zinc, really important nutrients for that cell proliferation when we're mounting an immune response. Okay. So I'll I'll ask you about the nutrients in a second though. So now I'm understanding though. So in essence, vaccines are helping with adaptive immunity. That is correct. So vaccines are adapt are entirely within the adaptive immunity bucket because okay. you introduce a little bit of that germ and exposure to either a disabled po- form of that germ or a dead form of that germ or even just a 
piece of that germ, or in the case of the RNA vaccines, you're, cre- you're introducing something which your body can then use to produce pieces of that germ and then build antibody memory to that. Wow. Okay. Well, let's talk about nutrients. You know, um, are there certain foods that you'd say, well, I'm thinking already based on what you're saying, but like to stay away from, and then like maybe your two to three, like go-to favorite immune immune boosting foods that maybe you and your family are eating every day, just because you know, they're so amazing. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we mentioned sugar. That's definitely one to stay away (laughs) from, from in terms of like the big bucket things. Yes. Big bucket. Um, I'll hit on those because the rest of it will be in the book, but, um, then the other thing to stay away from as much as possible as well is processed foods. Yeah. yeah, Not least because they tend to contain, you know, a lot of the sugars that we want to avoid, Yeah, but they also contain anti, uh, they contain inflammatory fats most of the time, like too much omega-6 fats or oxidized fats or too much saturated fats. Um, And so we want to keep those more in balance in the body Mm. and protected so that they're not oxidizing. so, and also that's where we are more likely to encounter uh, toxins in our food supply is through that processed food um, bucket. And, you know, I don't know if you've had folks on who talk about toxins and toxicity and endocrine disrupting chemicals, which is the catch-all term, which is recognized internationally even by the World Health Organization of um, chemicals that are known to have these effects, damaging effects in the body. And unfortunately, they're kind of pervasive um, in our environment. So we want to just where we can, where we can, where it makes sense, we want to just reduce our exposure because so certainly they're known to disrupt um, our endocrine system, which is our hormonal system, everything from insulin to thyroid hormone to estrogens, testosterone, like super important stuff. But what's not usually um, recognized is that these endocrine disruptors are also immune disruptors. Oh, wow. So we know that things like BPA, like phthalates. I just read like your article on the BPA. I didn't realize okay. it was like, now I'm like, oh, I use the toilet paper to blow my nose. Sometimes I'm just getting BPA up my, you know, into my body. <laughs> well, never I mean, knew so- that. I didn't even think about BPA and toilet paper. I didn't know that. It's interesting, isn't it? I know. So you know, toxins can be one of those things that can leave you really feeling kind of very unsettled because yes. you, uh, when you learn about them, read about them, you, you kind of realize just how much it's everywhere. exposed to and it's everywhere, right? So yes. our bodies our bodies do have some capability in, to process um, environmental toxins. I do like to mention that this is not totally doom and gloom. Like we do yes. have this capability. Obviously it varies from person to person, depending on like their nutrient status, their genetic makeup, like all these different factors can vary, you know, mean that people have a different level of toxins that they can process. But, you know, what most of us can't handle is like an unprecedented large amount of this, these toxins sort of swimming around in in them all at, at the same time. And so just identifying where we can reduce our exposure is yeah. really important. So yeah, like hair care, like hair, personal care products, personal really care products. Yeah. Household cleaning products. Yeah. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff, what we put in our yard and like 
all all these um, different areas. So yeah. just where we can, starting to learn about that and um, reduce our exposure is really important because, um, you know, I probably don't have time to talk too much about it now, but in the, the chapter where I talk about toxins, like you can see how the research is really identifying, well, okay, this one is known to reduce the activity of different um, immune cells or it it disrupts our microbiome, which is so important. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those hard areas that is also really hard to study. Yes. So you'll often hear this pushback to like, well, there's no randomized controlled trial on that toxin, right? But there, there can never be a randomized controlled trial on toxins because review boards, which have to approve human research trials would never approve something where yeah. the expected outcome is harmed. So the yes. only way that we can study toxins is by observing what, what happens to people who in our environment by measuring say blood levels and then correlating that with you know symptoms. And so this, these um, really important kind of indicators are strongly suggestive that we need to pay attention. Yeah, it's so important. And actually, interestingly, the the I did a rerun this week of a of a podcast, a woman who started a green line of skincare after having been diagnosed with breast cancer. And one of the articles that I had found was that I think in the EU, they banned like over 1300 chemicals known to be these endocrine disruptors. And the United States bans 11 and the legislation right. hadn't hasn't been touched since like 1938. Right. So no, some so countries are doing a better job of uh... it's different, yes. And so the US stands out as being quite permissive in the yes. use of different chemicals, right? That's so right. then the onus is more on us. That's um, right. And I really like resources like the Environmental Working Group. They yes. have this um, skin deep database where yes. you can go and you can search for products that you use and it will yes. give you that um that it will give you a score of the, the safety data, the, top, the safety level of that. And it will break yeah. that down as to what's in that product and what the potential effects are from the different ingredients in it. So it's really, really valuable. Um, and if you want somewhere to start with reducing your toxicity after you're reducing your pr processed foods, then that's the place to go for sure. Yes. Okay. And then like two to three favorite immune, immune boosting <gasps> foods. Oh, immune foods. Okay. Garlic. I mean, ah. garlic is so interesting interesting um it's so potently antimicrobial um so i mean we use it as in supplement form in concentrated supplement form to actually address things like dysbiosis which is where your microbiome is off um or we might use it for um, another condition called SIBO which is bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine which you might have talked about before um and so, but we can also eat garlic, right? <laughs> so including garlic in your food is a nice mm. way to just add a little bit of antimicrobial punch. It's also mm. anti-inflammatory. It has a whole host of other benefits. So I like that. Yes. Um, let's see, I have a section in the book where I have all of the immune superfoods. So which one shall I pick? I know, I um, know there's so many. That's why. I don't know if there's probably you, ones I would imagine in your diet that you're feeding your children and yourself, yes. that they're probably yeah. like, you're, it's always in your mind, like, I want the kids to have this every day. Yes. So, well, kiwi fruit is another really mm -hmm. good one because it's so high in vitamin C, as well mm -hmm. as a bunch of other um, nutrients, phytonutrients, which are really important. You'll learn about that in the book if you read those different kinds of phytonutrients. Um, and they've even shown in research studies that eating just two um, kiwi fruits per day can reduce incidence of 
colds. So, I mean, wow, that was pretty cool. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, yes. And that also gives you a full amount of vitamin C, um, RDA for vitamin C that you would need per day as well. So, kiwis, and they taste um, good when they're, they I like do. them when they're more ripe. Yeah. You know, they they're a little softer, um, not too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Not too yeah. tangy. Not, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how I like them. But yeah. <laughs> Um, and then let's pick for number three, let's pick um, mushrooms because I'm sure you wouldn't really think about mushrooms uh, when it comes to immune health, but mushrooms um, and everything from even just the white button mushrooms that you find, but also, you know, all those interesting medicinal mushrooms like mm. shiitake mushrooms and really interesting um I like to include those because there's even more data about how beneficial those can be. But even if you just buy the white button mushrooms, they yeah. all have something in them called beta glucans. Yeah. And beta glucans have been shown to do a whole bunch of different interesting things. Um, so first of all, they can help the microbiome. And second of all, they are they're able to attach specifically to receptors on your immune cells to stimulate their activity, help them wow. work better which is really pretty cool and beta glucans are also shown to increase something called uh, secretory iga which is something mm. that we produce on our barriers it's a little um antibody actually it's a generic antibody in this case and it's involved in that one of those mechanisms of first line protection before a germ even enters your circulation um, because it goes onto all of your barriers and, wow. and it does its job out there. And it's also involved in immune tolerance, which is a really important concept because that's what we're talking about when we when we say we want to try to reduce um, inappropriate immune responses to foods like food allergies or pollen allergies and stuff like that. So secretory IgA uh, plays an important role there too. So that's just mushrooms. That's amazing. <laughs> Your son never developed all those other potential allergies, did he, based on what you did as early prevention with the eczema? Isn't that true? So he, so his eczema is totally clear. Food allergy um, was already present. And once you have- ah, It was present, which was, was just right. what triggered the eczema. Got it. So okay. that, that won't, um, that won't, well, we are actually undergoing immunotherapy to reduce his reactivity there. So that yeah. so far is working is quite um, working quite well as well. And he already had also um, when you ran the test, like uh, reactions to pretty much every kind of environmental you could test for the spring pollens, summer yeah. pollens, fall pollens, like me. dust mites, things like that. So you but can't hear <laughs> that. Or you well, can just... he doesn't have day-to-day -day reactivity to those things other than a little bit in the springtime, um, which is pretty easy to sort of control and it's very limited. But if you look at it on paper, I remember Dr. Fitzgerald saying to me, gosh, if, you know, based on what you see on his blood work, he should be reacting all the time. Right. And so, but he's not. But he's not. So, you know, she's the she was very sweetly saying, I think, you know, what you're doing is, is on the right track to help bring down his actual clinical reactivity. Like it's actually not, it's not manifesting yeah. as it might do given what his blood work looks like. Oh, so that's fascinating. That's, um, that well, was really I asked because you talk about in the book about how the cells are turning over so frequently, like our skin, right. And yes. inner lining of our gut. Does that mean in theory that we can 
well, that we should obviously be able to improve our health, but are we like developing like a whole new, like how involved is this in terms of immune health? Like how much control do we have if we're feeding the good stuff and starving the bad? I mean, do we have more control uh, yeah, than we realize? You, we have much more control than most people would be thinking of and that we would, we would realize because yes, every, so your, your uh, barrier cells, well, most people know their skin, um, you know, re- yeah. sloughs off exactly the same is happening in your digestive tract. That I never knew till I read that in your book. I thought that was so interesting. Even more so than on your skin, right? Super interesting. I mean, yes. you, you think it makes sense, right? Because any kind of pathogen as well, it, it's going to have a harder time fixing an attachment on a barrier that's basically always renewing, renewing as yeah. well. And it's very, very thin. Like the epithelial barrier there is just really one cell thick. It's really, you know, really very interesting, but it's very nutrient demanding. So like making sure that we continually help that um, is going to go a long way. And because it's turning over so, so rapidly, you know, we can really get in there and have, um, and have a big impact by adapting to, you know, what we just even simple tweaks to what we're eating, you know, depending where we're starting from yeah. um, to support that barrier integrity, to support the microbiome, to provide yes. the nutrients needed to create those cells. And, yes. um, you know, it's all, it's all really, it's re- all really possible very quickly yes. um, in many cases. Yes. So like in the case of your son or even me, I found that certain things like the, the response isn't as severe or it doesn't, it doesn't impact me. Maybe it did the way that it did even as a child. So maybe we do just sort of outgrow some, or like our bodies, maybe it's the adaptive immune system is adapted enough that we don't get as reactive to certain yeah. things. Well, that's that, great. That right? That's great as well. But also, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that you're doing a tremendous amount of work through your food choices, through your lifestyle choices, and all of that's going to have an impact on, on, all of those pieces. I guess. That yes. If you're in tune with tolerance. your body, then I think, you know, if you, cause it's like you realize the dairy wasn't great for you. So you can make the choice to keep having it and having the reactions and not feeling maybe as vibrant, or you can choose to eliminate or reduce it. Right. I mean, right. Right. Um, and then that should re- reduce inflammation in general and hopefully reduce the, um, you know, the potential negative effects down, down the road of, of, uh, worsening disease. Yes. And I know we've gotten, I, I just want to ask you one more question if that's okay about, about inflammation. Cause you wrote sure. early in the book that one in three people will get cancer in their lifetime. That's a very depressing statistic I have to say. Um, but it sounds like chronic inflammation is potentially a part of that. So how do we, how do we, is it what you're talking about? Like, how do we reduce that inflammation? How do, how, how does somebody even know? I mean, I guess, is it, like, is that an example where you would recommend, like, shouldn't, are you some, I, I find that a lot of functional medicine say no dairy, no gluten. I'm not that black and white. It okay. really depends on the person. On the person. Right. Okay. It that's how I was curious. On, so, yeah. you know, yes, I would be looking for signs of inflammation, different kinds of conditions and cl- clues, um, either physical signs and symptoms or medical conditions or, you know, we can, we can also look internally. We can run tests to show different levels of inflammation. Um, We can look at the microbiome, which is, can either reduce or we can look at the microbiome. How do they look at the microbiome? 
So through stool testing. Uh, stool testing. Stool testing, which is very wow. commonly used in functional medicine yeah, as well. Sure. So we can see like what is the profile of that microbiome? Is it huh. pro-inflammatory or is it looking healthy and anti-inflammatory? Um, but really it's about when I'm working with somebody, it's about their unique. Yeah, because everybody situation. reacts differently. Everyone's different. Like, was the inflammation coming from their microbiome? Is it coming from processed foods or sugars in their diet? Is right. it coming from a food sensitivity? Is it, you know, all these different factors could be playing a role in inflammation in our body. And yes, inflammation can create havoc. It's like one of those central, um, like, you know, what do you call that? Like, like a fulcrum point of inflammation that can then yes. branch off to all different kinds of conditions, yes. including cancer, um, things like that. So um, it's really important to keep inflammation at, at bay, healthy yeah. levels yeah. at bay yeah. um, as much as we possibly can and support our immune system. If we're worried about cancer as well, you know, going back to that, um, the concept that our immune system is responsible for cleaning out Yes. Or that those early, early stages of cancer cells and making sure that um, we're giving our immune cells what they need to do their job properly to. Yeah. To keep us as strong as possible. Well, if somebody wanted to reach out to you to work with you, you know, get an individualized plan um, and obviously to find your, your book. So I'm going to read the title again. It's called Immune Resilience the breakthrough plan to protect your body and fight disease. Um, where to, where is the best place to direct someone wrongly? Um, okay. Yeah. So, well, it's uh, wherever books are sold. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's at, on Amazon, wherever you like to um, get your books. It's published here in the U S through Penguin Random House. It's also published in the UK. Um, so it's available there as well. If you have any British. Yeah, we have international. Yeah, so okay. Yes. British people. Um, And uh, in terms of getting hold of me, there's two websites. There's immuneresilienceplan.com, which is focused on the book. And then there's romilyhodges.com. And you can also uh, find me on Instagram. Um, But yes, on romilyhodges.com, there's there's also a way to, to work with me if you want to become a client as well. Yeah. And what, what are you on Instagram? Well, at Romilly Hodges. It's your name. And yes. just so everyone knows, I will be linking in the resource section over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Everything that we talked about today, there'll be a link to these websites for Romilly, to her book, uh, to the environmental working group, like all the things that we we talked about today, just to make it easy um, to find. Um, I could talk to you all day. It's just so fascinating. Uh-huh. I feel like I have a new appreciation, though, for just how wise and you know how our bodies want to be well and right how how much control we actually do have. And I think that's important, right? And just focusing on taking away the things that are getting in the way of that vibrant health and resilience and adding in the things that create it. And um, yeah, we, we can boil it down to those two things, even though there's many layers within that. Of course. But it's really, I, I'm totally passionate about the topic and thank you so much for um, spending the time to to chat with me about it. And um, Such a pleasure, yeah. really. I've learned so much both from your book and then this conversation. And I know my community is going to love this so much. And I, and I hope pick up a copy of the book because, you know, you've got even a plan for I went to it after I got COVID. I was like, oh, what do you do if you get sick? What supplements? There's do you a chapter. We didn't even get into get supplements. I There's know. Recipes. We could do a whole 
Yeah, the recipes are great. No, but did I see Parmesan in one of those recipes? I feel like I there did. Is, and I was excited not, to see yeah, that. Yeah, I have to skip that. I have to leave that out when when I make that recipe or I use the vegan <laughs> Parmesan. But you know, I'm not against um, people who can eat uh, dairy. Yeah, it's just know your body. It's know, know your, your body. body. Yes, exactly. yes. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you too. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.